Welcome to season six, episode one of Fire Away, Revenor Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, the founder of Revenor Law, and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Just a reminder, Fire Away streams live online every month. So if you missed an episode or if you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe, our Facebook page, and on our website. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Carlos Cadogan and Shawnee Love for a conversation about conflict in the modern workplace, whether it be microaggression, offensive jokes, harassment claims, or anything along those lines, and what we can do not only to navigate this kind of toxicity, but also to make positive change away from toxicity in the workplace. I'm very excited about the discussion. So first of all, Carlos and Shawnee, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So before we get into the, the topic of uh, harassment in the workplace and toxicity and all that, why don't uh, each of you take a moment just to introduce yourselves and and what you do. So Shawnee, why don't you uh, why don't you go first? Sure. Thanks. Uh, so I am an HR practitioner. I've been doing this for more than thirty years now, dating myself. I work actually in the uh, Kelowna era area, so in in the uh, Okanagan, which is not so sunny today, but usually it would be. And uh, when I say an HR practitioner, you know, I've worked primarily with entrepreneurial and growing businesses, changing, I should say, because sometimes entrepreneurial businesses aren't always growing. And and I always talk about the big five. We do uh, a lot of recruiting and onboarding, compensation and benefits, training and development, performance management, and then culture wraps around it all, which is part of the reason I'm here today. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Thank you. And Carlos? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Uh, my name is Carlos Cadigan. Uh, like you said, I'm here from calling from Toronto, Ontario. And what I do is I'm an inclusion enthusiast. Uh, what does that mean? I, I work with organizations and communities to help develop um, their uh, individuals, the participants, their leaders um, on the skill sets to help navigate uh, the things that we're talking about today, which is how to effectively work and collaborate with people who don't look like us uh, or work like us. And so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to have both of you guys. And I have to say, you know, part of the... Uh, the motivation for the topic is uh, a group that Carlos and I are both a part of, uh, which I think I may have missed this morning, actually. But uh, it's a group that gets together once a month and talks about some of the equity, diversity and inclusivity issues uh, and things like cancel culture and all that. And we've had some great discussions. Uh, so that kind of prompted this, this discussion because obviously practicing employment law, a lot of what we deal with at Runner Law is harassment or allegations of harassment. You know, sometimes it's not actually harassment. Um, sometimes it's just someone with a thin skin or sometimes it's just a manager who doesn't really have that uh, the right approach or the understanding of civility in the workplace. Or sometimes we're talking about bullying or harassment or sexual harassment. Uh, and sometimes it's things like inappropriate jokes and, and things that may have been acceptable 10 or 15 or maybe even five years ago. Um, but aren't acceptable now and how you deal with it. So that's uh, that's really one of the first things I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, now that we're into 2023, uh, how do you handle that proverbial class clown who always makes jokes and sometimes takes them uh, either close to the line or, or over the line? And, and what do you do about that in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll take that one, Stuart. I, you know, it, it's a long one, but I think the first thing you have to do is, as an organization is kind of back up, right? Most of our organizations have some sort of tenets or values that we hold true into the way that we deal with each other as colleagues at the workplace or with our customers. And so um, as, you know, um, 
you know, maybe this class clown is not trying to be offensive. Maybe, uh, you know, they're a good person, but is the way they're behaving actually go back to the values that the organization set forth? Um, and so that's the first thing I would do is stress it from that perspective. Uh, and then once you decide, and I think most organizations do have sort of, sort of tenants or values, well, how does that actually show up in our, our organization? So what I mean by that is you could have all these tenants and values on your website. And as a leadership group, you could recite them. Uh, but do they actually walk the talk? Right. And then as you go through the organization, whether it's middle management down to individual contributors, do they feel those values down where they work? Uh, so most organizations, when they hire for culture fit, actually don't even really know what their cultures are. And I would ask them to be more self-aware, ask and kind of investigate. And from there, reinforce those tenants and then address those individuals who might be the class clown. The, it doesn't mean any harm, but go back to, hey, you know, we, you know, we don't, you don't need to cancel him. But go back to those values and tenants and say, hey, remember the value, the respect, whatever those tenants are. We got to uphold those. And that joke might be okay for you, maybe okay for that one person, but there's someone here that's probably going to be offended by that joke. Um, and, and so let's use those values and tenets to kind of move away from that kind of behavior. Oh, thanks, Carlos. That's, that's really helpful. And Shani, I don't know if you had anything to add on that. Yeah, I was going to say, if I can jump in too, actually. So Please. I totally agree with what Carlos is saying. Mm. And I think the the build I would have is that, you know, I, I often try and talk to leaders and managers about telling their teams that, you know, this is a whole point of being in a workplace is being in, inclusive to all. And so if you can see somebody isn't enjoying a conversation, you can, you know, be self-aware enough to find a new topic or or to engage with them on what, you know, the discomfort is. And, and you know, I guess the other thing I look at, and maybe this is just me counseling patience and grace, but, you know, we all come into uh, any relationship, but certainly a workplace relationship with lots of experience that we bring to the table. Some call it baggage, but I like to call it experience. <laughs> and, and you know, when you come into that, your sort of knowledge and, and, and understanding of how things happen can be influenced from factors outside. And so, you know, you enter a new relationship, even if you enter an organization that has got a culture established, you know, part of the job of each side of that relationship is to learn a little bit more about what people mean and and how they're feeling and where they come from. And and sometimes I find, you know, just that counsel of, hey, you know, spend some time figuring this out, talking to them, learning more. You know, once you get a better understanding, sometimes those words that were really hot buttons for you become less so because you understand the person. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm giving people a free ride who say I didn't mean it, but but it it just I think there's a responsibility on both sides to you know, really spend some time trying to understand the person that's saying or doing the behavior. Well, thanks, Sean. I think that's really helpful. And I think especially when you're dealing with someone who is, you know, older, in other words, has been in the workplace for a while, they, they may have, you know, grown up where the norms were very, very different. Uh, and I'm sure you guys have seen this because I've seen a lot where someone says, we've always joked that way. We've always talked that way. Mm -hmm. So why are things changing? And then, you, you know, you get people who are sort of, anti-political correctness and they think that you know everything's been you know there's no more fun allowed you know, for that as well so and so how do you you know when you get that kind of response you know how do you how do you how do you address that and how do you explain to the person why what might have been acceptable in the past is not acceptable now yeah i just think you talk about the realities of the worlds we live in now um i mean you go back 30 40 years i'm a gen x or my expectation at working for someone was to get paid every two weeks right that was 
pretty much my expectation. If I got an amazing boss leader out of it, it was a bonus. You fast forward now, um, and because of the the technology interventions, the way we ex- we expect uh, employees to work as a team, often organizations say we're a family. Well, families have disagreements. Families have the weird uncle over there, or the weird you know. We have these differences, and what we're doing is we set these values, like we talked about earlier. We expect them to be more of a family, but then we don't give them the skills beyond the technical skills to actually work with each other effectively. And the way to do that to what you're talking about is, is we often refer back to people's cultural differences, right? What age group you're from, um, how, you know, how old you are, obviously your skin tone, the way you maybe pray, uh, how you dress, but those things are important starting points. But what's more important is the actual cultural values that differ from those differences. So what I mean by that is cultural values are the way that we like to collaborate, work and form relationships. So depending what generation you're from, where you're from in the country, uh, what current, uh, what culture you came from when you came to this organization, the way you work with people is different. So you got to give people the skills to be able to notice their own cultural values and others' cultural values. Because we meet someone, we often imprint our cultural values on the next person. So if Stuart comes over to me and shakes my hand and doesn't look me in the eye, I might think Stuart's not being respectful. But depending on my relationship with Stuart, or Stuart's from, looking me in the eye is a sign of respect or could be like, I'm trying to intimidate Carlos. And so we often do that. So we have to do those things to really say, yes, here's our differences, but let's dig a little deeper and talk about what are the different values here, whether it's from baby boomer to Gen Xer or from a guy working from the East Coast versus someone on the West Coast. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and especially the eye contact thing, which, you know, we're not, I don't think we'll have time to get into this, but even hiring, you know, I've had this discussion before about, you know, how do you gauge someone or assess their oh, credibility is another issue, but even just personality. And sometimes they'll say, well, you know, they didn't look me in the eye. Um, but as you said, sometimes some cultures, it, it's actually disrespectful to look someone in the eye, especially if they're someone who is perceived as a superior. So, yeah, you got to take all that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was going to follow up on one thing, and, and uh, maybe Shawnee, I don't know if you wanted to address this. Um, it, one of you, and Shawnee, I think it was you, talked about, you know, if you notice that someone's uncomfortable, you know, in the context of the jokes. What about if, if, if you don't notice it because no one is outwardly uncomfortable, but, you know, nevertheless, the comments that were made are still inappropriate? How do you, how do, you deal with that? So one of the things I go back to is, is you know, consensual banter, the, the dialogue between friends that happens outside of work, especially if you become, quote unquote, that family or that team or whatever that is really bonded, often do come back into the workplace. And, you know, that's a cultural question that, to be honest, I try and, and uh, tread carefully with. If, if everybody's enjoying it and it isn't breaking any laws and, and not unethical, then, you know, the specific jokes, you know, I'm, I guess I, I don't want to be going in and setting policy around what's appropriate or inappropriate other than what general society is aware of being appropriate. Um, but yeah, when you talk about, you know, the idea that somebody's, you know, well, this is the way we are here, you know, so first of all, I would say I work a lot with small business. If that's the way your small business is, be careful not to bring somebody in who's not going to be able to work effectively in that environment. If they're going to be upset about it or uncomfortable, you either have to work on the culture right away before they come in and or you have to be prepared to deal with some real 
difficult times conflict wise in the in the onboarding process and and i guess the other part of that is you know we unless you haven't had social media or any communication for the last 10 years i i think people saying oh you know this is the way it's always been or this is just the way i am it's kind of old news, right? Like it, you just can't anymore. And it was interesting, Carlos, if I could just build on something you said about, about, you know, the um, coming from different generations and and what our expectations are. I mean, in some ways, I wish I had the expectations of a Gen Z or or a Gen Y or back, you know, when I started, I might, I might've asked for more, you know, so give them credit for speaking up. And, and, you know, I, I also think a lot of us oldies, can sort of, you know, we, we're learning how to do new things every day. I'm using Zoom. So obviously I could potentially learn how to choose my words more carefully. And I guess just coming back to where we started or where I started with this is if you're in a group and, and everybody is comfortable with what's being said, that's one thing for that very small group, as long as no one else in the workplace can see you or hear you. But if you're in a place where you can be seen or heard, you do have to have a lens of what's acceptable in, in the world, in the society society. And, uh, you know, organizationally as a boss, I'm not going to go in and say, hey, don't say that anymore if it's just between the two of you. But I am always, I always have a lens on, you know, what's fair, what's, what's inclusive, what's respectful. And, and those norms have changed. And I think we have to, as individuals, own up to that as well as companies and bosses. Yeah, and I think that that's a fair point. The only thing I would add to that, because I've seen situations that arise where, you know, everyone in the room looks like they're the same, right? They, they all look at their white. They all assume they're all heterosexual, but maybe one or more of them are not all the same religion or the same sexual orientation. And so people are making jokes, assuming that it's not offensive to any of them, but of course it is offensive to one. So, I mean, I, you know, as you said, I mean, if you haven't been uh, on social media or basically if you've been under a rock for the last 10 years, you may not appreciate that. Otherwise, hopefully people, people will, but sometimes they've got to be reminded. Ooh, one more one more quick thing. That was something I meant to say earlier to what Carlos was saying. One of the biggest gaps I see in organizations is we aren't teaching people how to respectfully communicate when they're not feeling comfortable and we don't make it a safe place to do so. And so I really think it's incumbent upon employers, all employers, no matter how big or how small, to talk about how these issues can be raised and how we can have successful you know, dialogue around them, actually, because you know, I actually think, you know, I don't understand and want to dive into the school system or the social norms and social system, but we don't teach people how to argue very well anymore. We don't teach people how to speak up, right? We, we don't tell them how to get their issues resolved. And as a person who does workplace investigations, one of the, the parts that always uh, leaves me feeling the saddest in, in an investigation is how the, the people who were witnesses and who, you know, feel like bystanders feel afterwards because they didn't feel like they were able to speak up or do anything. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you guys have seen this too. Like I, I have seen situations where, you know, it's this classic situation of a whole group of people joking around. There's a couple of comments that are inappropriate that, you know, may, may or may not have bothered some people. But you often hear, you talk to the, the bystanders and a lot of them are, they feel horrible at her. And they often, yeah. and I, I've seen it as well where they'll go and apologize to the person, like the quote unquote victim later, but they don't say anything in the moment. Yeah. Um, and I guess that, that's what I was going to come to, because I think I, I wanted to come to sort of prevention, but also talk about mm -hmm. you raise a great point. Like, how should people respond 
A, if they are the person who feels as though they are being uh, targeted intentionally or unintentionally, but also just for everyone else. Like, how should people be responding when the class clown does make that inappropriate joke? Yeah, good point. I mean, a couple of things. One, uh, everyone might make the joke and they think it's okay because no one's upset that we're talking about, but that's where the organization needs to always do a pulse check on their culture yeah. and do things like surveys where people can give honest feedback um, that are like simple answers. Um, not we have to write down a paragraph or text because then maybe they can sneakily find out who who wrote it. But if they start to hear these things back and they understand that this is actually a problem, because to your point, someone might not feel comfortable um, speaking up. In order to have that person feel comfortable speaking up, again, it goes back to everything else, I think, in life, which is around education and training. And I'm not saying technical skills are not important. Of course they are. But as we know, the, the more senior you get in an organization, really what we're talking about now is how you inspire people and how you coach people. It's not so much how good you are with Excel. And so we just skip that piece. We just say, hey, Stuart's amazing. You're going to be this guy. And then keep everything the same. What we have to do is train him to understand and give people the, the skills to be able to manage and have conflict in a way that doesn't raise the temperature in the room. And that's uh, what we're talking about really here is it's microaggressions. And right, these aren't blatant racist or sexist comments. Potentially, it's like these little slights that people give to someone as a joke. And what we need is more people to give microaffirmations. An example could be Shawnee's talking in a presentation and a couple of guys are laughing in the back. I, as Carlos, should be able to say to those guys, hey, I know that we could talk later. I know that's a funny thing you want to discuss, but let's hear Shawnee out. Like those are things that are not going to you know, instantly result into a brawl, <laughs> right? But it's a way to kind of show Shawnee that I support her and that these guys realize, okay, well, she's probably got an ally here. Maybe we should check ourselves. Those are little things that we need to do and teach people how to do that um, instead of just, um, you know, again, just thinking it's, you know, everything's going to be fine. We don't want to get too much involved. I think that's fine, but we also have to give people skill sets that if you are in that room and you do feel like, mm, this isn't good for me or isn't good for the next person, how do I address it? Because I think that's the problem. People want to address it. That's not going to exclude them or create more of an issue, right? And so how do I do that? And I think microaffirmations are, are these set of ways where we can show support of each other is, is a way we can do something like that. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good point. Sorry, Sean, did you want to add something? I was going to say, I completely agree. And, and I realize, you know, what I said earlier could be taken out of context. You know, I think that uh, as a boss or as a, you know, a leader in an organization, it is up to us to model and, and to speak up when we see, see things that are going offside. That doesn't mean I want to completely, you know, stifle the, the sense of camaraderie and the laughter, but, but to Carlos's point, we need to be in a position to model the kinds of behaviors that we expect and to, you know, put a stop and or check in with people after something has been said or done to make sure that they do feel uh, that, you know, it was consensual and that they are happy with it and feel good about it. Yeah, makes sense. So I was going to come back. I know I think Carlos early on, early in the discussion, he said something about, you know, we don't don't want to cancel him or, or her. Mm -hmm. um, when do you, uh, you know, let's say we go through this scenario where there is a complaint or a concern, you talk to them, you try to explain why what they did was inappropriate. Uh, at, at what point do you, you know, and I, I can talk about this from a legal perspective, but sure. from more of an HR perspective, uh, at what point do you give up and say, you know what, like this relationship is just not going to work? 
Yeah, I, I'm not an HR professional. I don't know what that line is, but uh, I would I would say me personally is is uh, uh, you know I think canceling to your point earlier. I think Shawnee is we don't teach people how to communicate uh, anymore or to debate. Uh, we just shout at each other from our entrenched sides of the of the field. And so I, I'm opposed to canceling most people, even if I completely disagree with them. Um, what I want to try to do is zoom out and try to give them different perspectives and help them be more self-aware and empathetic and curious about other people, um, have a little bit more humility on their side. And by me giving them some of my humility, and I think that's what's missing. I think when you have to finally draw the line is um, clearly when someone crosses policies, uh, when someone doesn't seem to have uh, interest or care um, to how this might impact other people. Then as an organization, you go back to your tenants and your values and your culture is this person a culture fit, right? Like I, I use our own language to define what we're doing here because if everything this person is doing is the antithesis of what is on our website and what we preach as values in our town hall, great, he's a class, he's a class clown, everyone loves him, but why is this person he or she or they are, why are they here? Um, and so that's where the organization's got to decide, is this really the fit? And so again, it goes back to the top of, this, of the call is what's our culture? What is it now? What do we want it to be? And are, do these people fall in line with that? And if not, then we got to find um, someone who does. I, I like the way you brought that back to what you said before, but going mm. back to the, the basic tense of the organization, which I think is really right. uh, where things should start. So I think that's a really good point. Uh, Shani, do you want to add to that? I, I agree. Actually, I think it's wonderful what, what the way Carlos framed it. You know, for my vantage point, you know, we've we've come into a new time. We have expectations of people that they have to uphold, and and uh, and you know, when somebody crosses the line, not to say that they can't learn and grow. In fact, that's usually where I come at it from. But but when somebody becomes entrenched and my way or the highway, that lack of empathy, I think, you know, that's usually a pretty good sign for me that they might not be fitting where we're going anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to delve too far into the law, although I can talk about just cause, you know, endlessly. But you know, that's that's essentially what you're looking at. If you're looking at whether you can, you you can always let somebody go and give them severance. So if it's just not going to work out, not going to work out. But when you talk about just cause, it's really when the relationship is irreparable. So it's when you've had those discussions, and they've given you very clear indications that they're not going to change. And that's you know, from a legal perspective. That's when you'd be looking at it. So it's it's parallel or similar to what you're saying about when it's just clear they're not a fit and they're not willing to change or, or even to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to shift gears. And, and as I said, I mean, the time flies by faster than we ever <laughs> expected to. So I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of post-incident. You know, so we, let's assume we've had an incident where someone either made a, you know, an inappropriate joke that, you know, got reported back to the organization or maybe someone made... Maybe someone is you know, engaging in you know, a lack of civility, which is bordering on bullying or whatever the case is. There's been a concern or a complaint raised. There's been an investigation. Um, but at the end of the day, both people are still there in the organization. So how do you how do you reset this, the relationship and the situation to move forward? Uh, I don't know, Shani, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on that. So I actually think it starts as early as, you know, the the actual investigation itself. And, and even before that, the training in, you know, how to raise complaints, how to get concerns addressed. Because for me, you know, I, I, I think I, I shared this once with you in the past, the idea of an investigation process is actually a healthy 
process for an organization. It is conflict resolution, maybe maybe a more formal way, but um, you know, it's the way that we have in organizations if the informal ways that we hopefully teach them don't work. And so when we have a, an investigation, you know, I talk about when I, I do them, right? When I talk about with the people, I'm like, I realize this feels very stressful. Uh, and oftentimes people are losing sleep no matter which side of the of the investigation they're on. And I talk about, you know, let's talk, let's see where this goes and treat it like a learning opportunity that we're going to come out the other side uh, with some new knowledge that we didn't have, some hopefully some, you know, new skills to be learned. And organizationally as well, there's often structural types of contributors and power factors in play here that that uh, contribute to how we ended up. And so organizations can learn from these processes as well. I just, I think that, you know, and I, I talk about this, it's not a bad person, but they might've done a bad thing. And that if they've done a bad thing, they can learn from it. And I, I think that language, maybe not exactly how I've said it, someone more articulate, but uh, that type of, of concept is, is really what I want to leave people with going through that process. So when we come out the other side, that they realize that there's a, a forward opportunity, that they're not just, you know, branded for life. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, if I if I can add, I, I think that that hundred percent of everything Shani just said, and hopefully the organization has done that deep dive dive on their culture, given people the skill set. So when those incidents happen, that the post of it is that uh, that investigation, but also it already makes sense of what kind of next steps are going to be because we set up the organization to deal with it. Like this is what's going to happen. We just have to address the elephant in the room. If you cross the line, this is how it could play out. It can play out, you know, in the worst ways. I remember when I first started a job, there's rules about um, intoxication on the work on the workplace. What can be immediate, immediately fireable versus, you know, one or two or three warnings before you're fired. Talk about it. And for some reason around inclusion stuff, DEI stuff, and I understand why it's very personal for people. We still want to kind of like that 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 uh, cartoon movie my daughter watched in Kanto. We don't talk about Bruno. Like we just don't want to talk about it. We just kind of back away. We got to talk about it. These are going to be the steps. This is what's going to happen. Investigation and then post. This is what we're going to do for the two of you, but for us as an organization in terms of how we address it. That's in a way that protects privacy and all those kind of things, but allows people to know that this is being dealt with. Because I think this is where people start to do all the quiet quitting or all the stuff that uh, people are talking about is when they see there's a lack of actual motivation for the organization to address it. Well, then I'm just going to, you know, continue my behavior or just not speak up because what are you guys going to do about it? So I think setting that up post any event happening gives you the the ideas and the skill sets and the framework of how to deal with the post um, to Shani's point that that investigation. Thanks. And as people who know me know that I'm a huge Disney fan. So thanks for working at Disney <laughs> reference it. Your, your comments, no I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> uh, before I get to uh, to offer my my rant, uh, first of all, I want to thank both of you uh, for coming. It was really great. And I appreciate the different perspectives both of you guys brought. Uh, and obviously, we could have gone on for a lot longer, but I really appreciate it. And like I said, I appreciate the fact that you both come at it from different perspectives. So thank you guys both for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks. And now, uh, now I'll take my turn to fire away. So today I'm following up on the discussion that we had with Carlos and Shawnee in season six, episode one of Fire Away, dealing with conflict in the workplace and things like microaggressions and the class clown and inappropriate jokes. And really my point today is that many organizations still don't know 
how to respond to complaints or suspicions of harassment or inappropriate behavior. And they tend to err at either one extreme or the other. In other words, they either ignore the issue completely and fail to investigate, or they just fire the accused, you know, cancel culture, fire them right away without investigating. Neither of those is inappropriate. I'm sorry, neither of those is appropriate. And both of them can expose the organization to liability. And from what I've seen and from the comments I get from clients, a lot of times the organizations just assume that they don't have to investigate. So I'm going to review a couple of the common scenarios. One is where there's an anonymous complaint. Even though the ability to investigate an anonymous complaint may be limited, there is still a duty to investigate. The second is if there's no complaint at all. Maybe you've heard rumors or there's been an informal comment made, but there's no actual complaint. And I see too many companies latch onto that and say, well, there's no written complaint, so we're not going to deal with it. Occupational health and safety laws require that you investigate incidents of harassment, which can include a suspected incident, even if there is no complaint. You can't just bury your head in the sand and pretend you didn't hear about it. You need to investigate it. The other scenario that we hear often is where the complainant refuses to participate. So they file a complaint or they tell HR, but then they say, I don't want to be involved. Again, your ability to investigate may be limited, but you have to consider other sources of information and you're going to have to go through an investigation. And then the other scenario, the complainant resigns or the accused resigns. And I can't tell you how many times I've received those celebratory phone calls or emails saying, Great news. Remember the incident I told you about? Well, they resigned, so we can just close our file. And I get to be the bearer of bad news, of course, and say it's not that simple. Uh, and on the issue of, you know, scenario where the complainant resigned, which happens, unfortunately, still happens fairly often. Remember that employers always have that duty to make all reasonable efforts to ensure a safe workplace. So just because someone who complained about being harassed has now left doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything further about that complaint. And imagine how a court's going to look at this. Imagine if the complainant resigns, you close your file. A few months later, somebody else complains that the same person was harassing them. And in the course of litigation, it comes out that you actually received a complaint about that person, but because the complainant resigned, you chose to do nothing about it. You're just increasing your potential liability. So again, you need to investigate even if one or both of the parties involved resigns. And I, I've talked a lot about investigations today, but I want to make one thing very clear. Investigations can take many forms. So it can be that massive undertaking that takes months with dozens or hundreds of witnesses and thousands of documents and a huge report comes out at the end. Or it can be a couple of quick conversations and a really short closing email. So when I say you have to investigate, it doesn't mean the first example. It can be a very short investigation, but you need to investigate legitimately, objectively, and fairly before you close the file. That's your obligation. And if you don't, you're exposing yourself to substantial liability. And that's all for today. That's also a wrap for season six, episode one of Fire Away. So again, I want to thank everyone for joining in. I want to thank Shawnee and Carlos for joining me for a great discussion. I want to remind everyone that past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook. If you like our page or subscribe to our YouTube channel, you get notifications when episodes go live. Our next episode is going to be on March 21st. I'm going to be joined by Mark Keynes, who's the president and CEO of Blue Link, for a discussion on how to detect, handle, and ultimately prevent cybersecurity issues among employees. So tune in for that. It should be a great discussion. 
Lastly, I want to remind everyone that at Rodney Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. So I encourage you to keep up to date on employment law by following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, liking our Facebook page, subscribing to our YouTube channel, and please check out our new TikTok feed as well, which I have been having some fun with lately. Uh, and lastly, subscribing to our newsletter to you can get our monthly employment law updates. And finally, as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Thanks to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together as always. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.